Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. A 162-game schedule means there's something to talk about every day. This is Baseball Central with Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Tonight, I was missing, you know, my command with the fastball, obviously. That's when I don't locate well my fastball, then my, sec- my secondary pitches don't work well. So, but that's the night you had to, like, go out there, I had to battle, you know, pitch by pitch. And I try and, you know, I give my 100% and I feel good about it. There is Jose Barrios, the starter for the Blue Jays last night. After two really good starts to begin his Blue Jays career, a rough one. Last evening as the Blue Jays fall to the Angels and split their four-game set. They're in Seattle for the next three games beginning tonight at 10 o'clock here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and on Sportsnet. Robbie Ray takes on Chris Flexen. Welcome into Baseball Central. Rob Wong in for Jeff Blair as Kevin Barker is joining alongside. And you know, we talked about it yesterday. You, you predicted a tight ball game and we we're going to see a pitching duel. Almost didn't go that <laughs> way. I mean, Jose Brios had to, to battle. Obviously, wasn't at his best. And Really, neither was Shohei Otani. I mean, you know, we've seen him dominant, of course. And uh, yesterday, kind of weird. Wasn't throwing a lot of fastballs. We know the Blue Jays like to hit the fastball, but was throwing a lot of sliders, a lot of cutters to try to keep them off balance. Mm-hmm. So didn't end up being the pitcher's duel that we uh, were maybe expecting heading into that one. But just kind of a weird game, right? Like, you're, you're watching that. And there's not really a ton of flow to it. There's a lot of base runners. The game takes like three and a half hours. It was just kind of a, a weird one. Yeah, well, the Otani thing, you mentioned that that's not the best he's been, but he still went six innings, gave up three hits, only gave up two runs. He walked three guys. He, he, he has a tendency sometimes to do that, but it'll tell you that he can evolve into whoever he's facing. You know, I was thinking he would come out and, you know, be fired up to face Vladdy. No, it was more under control. I'm going to spin it early. I'm going to expand with the with the heater later in counts. That's a scary thought. Yeah. That that he can get a little better. He can he's thinking his way through these starts. And then you see, you know, that he had the first first at bat. He hit the double with two strikes to left center field. It's it's a unicorn. You said it yesterday. It's just the things that he does on both sides of the ball and, and how much fun and how easy it looks. And it's like he's out there, he's looking at the baseball like it's, you know, <laughs> it's almost like he's he's mesmerizing that baseball into okay, I'm gonna throw you where I want you to go. And then when I go up, I'm gonna hit you a very far and a long way. It's it was a it was a lot of fun for me to watch a guy that, you know, when I tried to do it offensively, the routines I went through, just to see a guy be able to go out and, and make it look as easy as he made it look. Yeah. It's special. There, it really is. It's funny you mention that because there's a couple of moments in that game where, you know, the Sportsnet broadcast just shows out Tani. He's kind of looking <laughs> off in the distance. Yeah. And there was one moment where he was just sort of like, what do I want to throw here? Like, I could throw 100. I could throw a splitter. Like, what do I want to do? He's just kind of looking off in the distance, rubbing up the baseball. Like, this is a guy you said just goes out there and just yeah. plays he, baseball. He gave, he like, gave he's up not an overthinker, it seems like. It he does, no, he, and, and, he, and he's like, he's so humble. You know, he's, he's, I think after the inning was over, when Vladdy was at third base, he was walking by Vladdy. He was, it seemed like he said, nice hit. Yeah. You know, he got the OO cutter that Vladdy hinted in the left field. It's just, he, he understands, he gets it for me. It's, 
You know, he's one of those guys you can tell the 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 things around him. He understands who he's facing. The the you know how big all of these games are and and what he means to Major League Baseball. And it's uh, seeing it up close, seeing it both sides of the ball. It's can can other players do that? I have no idea. It's just uh, like it's. If he can do that, mm-hmm. and then the next game, say, he comes out and he tries to throw 100 all the time, you would think he can throw 100 all the time just yeah. by the way he went about doing it against the Blue Jays, a really good lineup and that kind of thing, and the offensive side of the ball that he brings. He's a special player. Yeah, truly is. Uh, luckily, that's the uh, last time the Blue Jays have to see him uh, this season. Uh, so let's talk about Jose Barrios. We heard the clip, of course. The, the fastball was not good for him last night, and that's a big pitch because that allows him to work with his off speed. Um, just, you know, the breaking ball I noticed as well. Kevin didn't have the same bite that, you know, we saw it in the first couple of starts. He did battle through five innings, and, you know, if he gets a couple of more favorable ground balls, you know, maybe he's able to get out of some of those innings. But I think it's tough because, you know, he's a guy coming in here with a lot of expectation. I mean, they gave up some top five prospects to get him. Mm -hmm. They want him to perform. And, you know, he did the first couple of outings, but um, last night uh, did not do it. And it's tough because, in reality, the Angels are not a good lineup. They got one really good hitter in Otani. And outside of that, I mean, who are you afraid of? Uh, David Fletcher, Phil Gosselin, Justin Upton, like it's Walsh not. Walsh is a pretty good hitter. Walsh is he'll, a good he'll hitter. Get battle. He'll yeah. step the middle but of the other way. But outside of that, I mean, you know, yeah, who, yeah, who are you afraid? Well, you'd have to figure if he had a, he had a good sinker, he had a good run on that pitch, he could locate it, he could get ahead in the count, use the the curveball that he has. He can throw two different ones. The one he gets ahead with, the one he can put a, a righty and a lefty away with. It's He's mentioned it in that little hit to begin the show. You have to have the fastball. You have to put the put it in the mind of the hitter that it's swing first. I can't go up there thinking about taking and and so that way you can't eliminate his best pitch for me, which is the breaking ball. He mm-hmm. wants to get you out, get some weak contact, punch you out with the breaking ball, but he has to have good command with the fastball. And when you don't have it, it's a struggle. You could tell he was he knew what he was doing. He knew what mechanically was going wrong. It's just you have one of those games where you can't fix it, and it's. You could see he was he would do the extension and you know it looked to me like maybe he was spinning off the ball a little bit too much. It was you know you, you hopefully he doesn't have a, a couple of games like that in a row and he's a veteran guy. It happens to to the best of them. You would just think in one of those games I know it was Otani and Otani for me wasn't at his best. You know he evolved into what he had to against a pretty good lineup. But it's just you would hope that the Vladdies and the George Springers and Marcus Simeons, you know, Bo wasn't in there, but Tay Oscar, they could pick it up a little bit and have better at bats, quality at bats, and score some runs. Didn't happen that way. Now you have to go forget about it, go to Seattle, and hopefully take two out of three or maybe sweep Seattle. So you look at last night's game with with Jose Brios, and, you know, it's hard to really say that, you know, you can really take a ton from it because he mentioned he was off last night. This is not the guy that we've seen uh, as a Blue Jay in those first couple of starts and for the large part of this season. You know, the one thing that I have noticed, though, when you look at his numbers and you saw it last night, lefties tend to have a pretty good time with him. The, the slugging percentage against lefties this year, 496. Uh, they hit him 266 against him this year. Um, Otani's a freak of nature, so he gets that, you know, double to start the, the top mm-hmm. of the first there, of course. But, you know, Jared Walsh, you mentioned. Brandon Marsh had a hard ground ball up the middle to score a couple of runs. I look at a team like the Yankees, and now they've added Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo, big lefty bats. Uh, yeah. I look at guys like Alex Verdugo, Rafael Devers on the Red Sox. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, do you have concerns that you know Barrios against a team with some good lefty hitters? I mean, the, that that's that's a tough matchup yeah. for him. And the ballparks he's playing yeah. in, you know, short porch and right field in Yankee Stadium, the 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 wall and left field Fenway Park. 
Yeah, you could tell. He, he has the deception real hard on righties. Lefties, if you see the ball, if you think, you know, you can, I don't say guess, but take an educated guess on when he's going to throw the breaking ball again. If he's commanding the fastball, the sinker at the bottom of the zone, he can elevate the four-seamer. Uh, you know, he can sprinkle in the changeup. He can use the breaking ball. But if I were hitting against him, I really try to eliminate something. And if you'd look at his stats, it'd have to be the breaking ball. Mm-hmm. And you would think being lefty where he releases the ball from, it would be a little easier to pick that up, see it out of the hand. But you got to not chase. And I think that's what lefties, you know, for the most part try not to do at the big league level is chase the breaking ball. That strike to ball when it starts you know, maybe if it starts down the middle, if you could recognize it out of the hand, knowing that if it starts down the middle, it the way it breaks and as much as it breaks, it's probably going to be a ball. So if you could take that and, you know, maybe get him into a sinker count where you could look up because he doesn't throw a bazillion miles an hour. You know, it's 94, 95. In today's game, that's not tremendously hard. That's like 88 when I was playing or 88 now. So it's, you know, I, concern. I'm not sure of that. I think he's a really good player. I think he's very athletic. Yeah. He'll make adjustments. But it, the adjustment part of it is a big deal. He's going to have to be better. He's going to have to. That's what I've said. Being with Petey, can he help him with the changeup? Can he give him a different grip? Can you know? Would he throw that more to get lefties a little more off balance so it would make that curveball a little bit better? But I like him. Like just, yeah. I know he had a bad night last night. You, you, I'm sure he he's veteran enough and been around long enough to know that they happen. You know, you don't want to make a habit out of it down the stretch, and I'm sure it won't, but he'll learn from it. He'll erase it as quick as he can, and he'll get after it with hopefully better fastball command and be able to use the breaking ball more. Yeah, pretty uncharacteristic. The The walks last night, four walks. He's not someone that uh, gives up base on balls uh, too often. So let's talk about the offense a little bit here. And, and we mentioned Otani not at his best last night, but uh, was effective enough keeping the Blue Jays uh, off balance with the off-speed sliders, cutters, uh, not going to the fastball uh, as much. Let's start with Vladdy, because uh, one for three last night uh, draws a walk later in the game as well. We talked about it yesterday uh, on the show that that probably wasn't going to be the get-right spot for him going up against Shohei Otani. You would have thought maybe that hit to start the game gives him a little bit of confidence. Yeah. I was actually more impressed with the walk later in the game, because in that at-bat, he swung a really bad slider, and he was really mad at himself. Mm-hmm. But he took a couple borderline fastballs, and I thought, okay, at least he's got that. That you know He's upset at himself for swinging at a bad pitch. He's not going to make it even worse by swinging at even worse pitches to end that at bat. He yeah. was able to gather himself and say, let's get back to, you know, hitting what I can hit. And for him to draw that walk, I'm not saying that it's all of a sudden going to vault him moving forward here. Sure. But I thought that was a good sign that he's not completely out there just trying to swing his way out of it. Yeah, this. you could tell, too, he, he was trying to get in his gather a little sooner. You know, he wanted to eliminate a little bit of the movement, start earlier so he could get in an athletic position a little bit quicker. The stride's a little longer than it was when he was raking. That's, you know, his head's moving, which would mean his eyes are moving, which mean the ball's moving when the ball's moving. You tend to chase is sort of what he's doing. And he looks to me like he's chasing hits now, which Mm. is never a good thing. You know, great hitters tend to be able to not chase hits. When they're going bad, it's still stay within yourself, trust the process, trust what you were doing in the cage and in early work. Hopefully that translates over to to the game. Uh, you know, I'll say it and I keep saying it. It's about what he swings at. The big league level, I tried, when I was trying to play, it was if I chase balls, it got me in bad counts. And I wasn't a good enough hitter when I got in bad counts to be able to, you know, foul off a pitcher's pitch to stay alive to get a better pitch. It wasn't good enough. Is Vladdy good enough to do that? How many times have you seen him with two strikes fight off a tough pitch to, to get a better pitch? It's rare. 
Mm-hmm. Right? He's so aggressive early, and when he was aggressive, he was ag- aggressive on something that he could barrel. And when he's barreling baseballs because of all the talent he has, great things are going to happen. Just right now, you know, it's in off the plate. It's away off the plate. And he's going to, for me, have to not be, be able to do one of those two. It's a lot to ask a 22-year-old in a playoff chase to, to eliminate both of them. So, okay, what's he do well? I would think, for me, you look up out over the plate. For me, a t- a, when he's struggling, you can remember last year a little bit when he was struggling, when he got here in 2019, when he was struggling a little bit, he was chasing the ball in. You can see that like that the barrel would be not short to it, long through it. It would be short to it and out of it. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't have that link to a swing. Something was trying to play catch up. And for me, a lot of that was he was chasing the ball in off the plate a little bit. Plate awareness tends to give him a little problems. Now, that could be the gather that he has. It could be a lot of things, right? He's he's trying to do too much. Maybe he thinks he's not human, and he can expand and still get the barrel of baseballs. I just think this time of the year when you're facing good teams that are trying to make the playoffs, they're good teams for a reason because they pitch better than other teams. And he's going to have to, for me, just zone up a little bit better, look in his zone until he gets to two strikes, and obviously he has to battle two strikes. But on the flip side of that, he didn't have a good game on the defensive side either, mm-hmm. right? It was the it was the pickoff play that he had to first base. You know, these are one hundred and one playing first base. You learn these things at, at the lowest levels. It's like why, if you're a right-handed, uh, you know, right-handed thrower, why would you come inside the base to try and tag a a runner on a pickoff play? You don't do that. You you go you get. Your timing is better, so you can run over, straddle the bag, let the ball come to you. Don't go get the ball, so that way, basically, all you have to do is drop the glove on the on the foot to get the runner out. That's one of the things. It's the it's the 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 uh, rundown play he had. That's easy too. You you when the catcher throws to you and you're a right-handed thrower, all you have to do is get on the outfield side of the runner. Mm-hmm. And run him as hard as you can, so that way, as soon as you release the ball, you just fade off. And you don't even have to get into, you know, you, the runner won't even be close to you. It's, and, and then we saw the little pop-up he missed again. It's just things that maybe you're starting to carry over from the offensive side to the defensive side that, quite frankly, down the stretch, if he doesn't clean it up a little and be a better player, I'm not saying be the player that he was, you know, the beginning of the season, because that's a lot to ask. He was off the charts, almost not human. Yeah. But be better. You know, be who he's supposed to be, which is have quality at bats. You know, when he gets a good pitch, don't miss it. It's like when you're watching him early in the season. When he got that pitch, he just hammered that thing. Now he's not doing that. So they need to – he needs to be better. He needs to be better on the defensive side. He needs to be better at the offensive side because if they want to make the playoffs, for me, he has to be Vladdy. Absolutely. And, and the defensive side, I'm happy you brought that up because there were times earlier this season where he might have been going through it, and it didn't affect him on nope. the defensive side of things, but he was starting to see it sort of creep into his game of late during these uh, last yeah. couple of weeks where he's having a tough time at the plate. I know people have brought up the fatigue factor, and by all accounts, I mean, it's, you know, I'm sure he's tired. It's been a long season. He's been on base a lot. He's been out in the field a lot. But the reality is, as you said, they need him to be Vladdy. They do. He's not getting a week off. Like, he's going to have to be there. Maybe okay. they give him a few more DH days. Like, how do you battle that for a guy that is tired going through his first full 162 at the major league level? You can't exactly give him days off because they're trying to make the playoffs. Okay, yeah, forget about the defensive side. Let's think about the offensive side. If you're a great offensive player, you should be able to work through parts of the mental side of it quicker than everybody else does because right. you're a great hitter. You should know. This is why they they leave guys at the minor league level to let them struggle. That's why I was left there. To, to, so when you know how you're struggling, what it took to get you out of it quicker, 
Like you were already been there and done it before. And I, I worked on this before the game. I didn't do this when I was in the game. Something that you could go back on to lean on to fix it. Well, he's going through this at the big league level. And it's not the easiest thing. I'm one of the people on the side of that's an excuse for me. Like the fatigue thing and the and he, uh, he's trying too hard. I, I give you the trying too hard when he came to the Rogers Center and maybe when he was following George Springer, seeing what he was doing. You're 22. You're fighting for an MVP. All right, I give you that. But now you're on the road. And you're staying in five-star hotels. And they'll give you whatever you need to get you to the next level. So for me, you're a great hitter. Figure it out. You know, he's going to go through these ups and downs. It, we're going to find out what kind of player he is and what kind of human being he is when you're struggling and, and things are not going right. But I expect him to, to figure it out. It's, for me, a simple thing. Try not to expand. I know that sounds like just the easiest, most obvious thing. But when you're a great hitter and have been a great hitter, you can simplify it as much. I'm going to get a good pitch to hit and think of nothing else. Not where my feet are at, not where my hands are going, not where I'm, if I'm getting to my finish, none of that. Get a good pitch to hit. And if I do that, because of all the other things that I do great, I will be a really good hitter. Yeah, I, I think it's a lot, like you said there, that, you know, he is a guy that feels like he can get, he can get to a lot of pitches. Yeah. And right now, he just needs to keep it simple. And if you get rung up looking and that's not what you're looking for, so be it. But at least you're stuck with your plan. And you were able to, you know, try to do something positive as opposed to swinging yeah. at everything like you're saying. It right is now. very easy for yeah. us to say that yeah. because of all things considered, they're fighting for a playoff spot and he's expected to do, you know, unhuman things. But he's a great hitter. Absolutely. We'll uh, see what he uh, does tonight. We'll get into tonight's game between the uh, Blue Jays and Mariners. But, you know, finally from last night's game, uh, the bullpen options that we saw from uh, Charlie Montoya last night, Trent Thornton, Kirby Sneed, and Connor Overton, uh, not exactly the uh, high leverage guys for the Blue Jays bullpen. But first, uh, let's begin with Connor Overton making his Major League debut last night, a guy that played independent ball, 28 years old, has been yeah. playing pro ball for a long time, finally getting his first shot at the Major Leagues and inning and a third of scoreless ball, 12 strikes, 15 pitches. Uh, what did you make of the debut? Yeah, I'd see, I'm, I'm almost on the side. I'd rather see him, Trent Thornton. Like the, the Trent Thornton, whatever they're going through with Trent Thornton, I... Do we really need to see that anymore? Like we sort of know what he is. Right. It's sooner or later he's going to give it up. I, I th that's I'm waiting for the shooter drop. Well, every time Trent Thornton comes in, whether it's I can't believe they hit that breaking ball. Really? Like it's I, that's sort of the th kind of thing that I go through every time I see Trent Thornton. Uh, you know the other guys. Snead is you know, he he would be real tough for me against lefties. Yeah. Where he releases it from, he throws hard enough. He's got a decent enough feel for a breaking ball. Highest leverage situation? Probably not, but a situation to keep other guys rested so when there is highest leverage, I'm okay with that. Overton, right? It's yeah, he's He seems to be a guy that's got a, a numerous amount of pitches. Like It's like five or six different pitches he's going to go through. Now, at the big league level, can he uh, command those? I don't know, but I'm rooting for him. All, yeah. the, all the things you just mentioned, where he's been and how hard it's been to, for him to get here, I was sort of one of those guys. I know how hard it is to not give up on yourself and to be a guy that's actually here and given a chance down a stretch to at least pitch a, uh, on a really good team. I root for him, so I hope he stays here. Just, that's just me. Just a quick thing on on you know facing someone like that. I mean, he's not 
overpowering no. by any means. But, you know, usually when you're facing relievers, maximum three pitches. Fastball, breaking ball, maybe a changeup. Yeah. This is a guy that throws five different pitches. I mean, right. What's that like as a hitter when you're coming in to face a guy out of the pen who's got yeah. a ton well, of different S- options? Siddle, Siddle always makes fun of me because every time somebody asks me, what, what were you thinking? Were you hitting? I say the exact same thing all the time. I look fastball. <laughs> I look for the straightest thing that guy throws yeah. and nothing else because you're not going to make a living off a, a, a cutter or a slow breaking ball or a, you know, a nasty slider. Never have understood when you hear Bo or Vladdy go, well, I was looking for a slider. Well, why were you looking for it when nobody else can hit it? It sort of doesn't make any sense. But, you know, it's it, it's not the easiest thing to zone up, look your your location, sort of like the Vladdy thing. You can't expand. You can't make the plate bigger because that usually doesn't work for a long period of time. And Overton, I, look, I'm going to continue to root for him. Now, will he be here long term? Probably not. When, when people get back that should be here, that they really need to pitch down the stretch, he's probably going to be the first guy that goes. But it's been a good story for him and and – I root for him. I really do. Yeah, I think it's a great story, and we'll see uh, how long he is with the Blue Jays. A final note on last night's game, Corey Dickerson had to leave the game, precautionary, lower back tightness uh, after striking out against Shohei Otani. It's been, you know, a decent start to his Blue Jays career. Obviously adds a different dynamic to the lineup, Kevin, with his uh, lefty bat guy that has a little pop in there. Um, you know, this upcoming series against the uh, Seattle Mariners, they got a righty going tonight in Chris Flexen, who's interestingly more of a reverse splits guy that, you mm-hmm. know, righties tend to hit him harder than lefties. You got Logan Gilbert, the rookie, on Sunday. But if Corey Dickerson is uh, out for an extended period here, if he has to go on the IL, I mean, wh- what do you think that does for, for this line? I mean, Randall Gritchick had a, a double last night. So Lurz Goriel Jr. hit a home run. But, you know, Randall's really been scuffling for, for a while here. It's uh, not a huge loss necessarily with Corey Dickerson, but yeah. uh, a tough time when you know he was you know just starting to get a little bit healthy here coming off that uh, foot injury hopefully everything's okay he can give you a a more than quality at bat late in the game and that's for me the main reason why he's on the team is for that reason he'll give a an opposing manager imposing pitcher a different look they have to mix it up a little bit more get them out of a routine you know get consistently thrown one way to a bunch of righties you got a guy that can go bridge you know he can if he gets an elevated fastball or he gets a you know a hanging breaking ball maybe he can level out that sling uh, that swing a little bit and and, and drive a, a ball maybe the middle of the other way that kind of thing but that's a sort of I don't want to say it's a huge loss but it'd be a loss because he is a he's a nice little you know add to this team that can bring a, a veteran presence and and maybe some thump at the at the bottom of that lineup yeah and it's just tough when you you know you come to a team you're hurt and you get back, and all of a sudden yeah. you're hurt again, and you're just thinking like, "Oh, jeez, like I want to try to help this team." And uh, you know, they always say the best ability is availability, and uh, right now go. that's uh, not the case for Corey Dickerson. Now, coming up later on the show, we will chat with Ben Wagner, the radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. He'll join us in about ten minutes' time. He's got the call tonight here on the station. Mariners and Blue Jays coming up at 10 p.m. Eastern later as well at 6:30. Jesse Rogers of ESPN will join us. Has a uh, piece up on ESPN.com right now about, uh, you know, maybe getting teams to not tank and actually try to win. How can you do that for all 30 teams? He also covers the White Sox and Cubs. We'll get into that. Field of Dreams game last night just uh, quickly. Looked great. And it went well. I mean, Major League Baseball couldn't have asked for anything nope. better there with the uh, the crazy ninth inning with the Yankees coming back and then Tim Anderson with the uh, the walk-off. And I'm a massive Tim Anderson fan. I love what that guy yeah, is like uh, that. all about. I love the whole, like, it's over, and he's doing, like, the Vince <laughs> Carter thing when he hits the homer off uh, Zach Britton. But yeah. uh, you, you watched a lot of it last night. I checked it out as well. And like I said, it couldn't have gone any better yeah, for Major the, League Baseball. Yeah, Major League Baseball for me hit a home run. Just everything, they're coming out of the corn and and – 
you know, the the game, it was, a, it was a little bit of a blowout early, middle of the game, and then all of a sudden the Yankees started coming back, hit a couple of home runs off of Liam Hendricks, and, you know, Tim Anderson walked it off with the, with the hanging sinker. It's, it, for me, it was perfect. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's sort of everything rolled into what 2021 baseball is all about. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it, had a, it had a little bit of swing and miss. It had a, it had a bunch of home runs. and had a walk-off with some flair. What more do you want to watch? Yeah, it feels like, you know, it could be something moving forward. Uh, you know, we talk about the NHL all the time, and they do the Winter Classic and the outdoor games and all that stuff. And yeah. it feels like this is kind of the version that Major League Baseball wants to do. I know they played in, like, Williamsport a few years right. ago. So they do these occasional, you know, games in different stadiums, and they go traveling around. But I, I, the only thing I wonder is, like, at some point, does it kind of – Get old? Does it jump the shark where you're just like maybe? Okay, uh, year year five. Here comes the Yankees out of the corn again. Yeah. Like, okay, I get it. Like, it, w- it would have it would for me be all about the teams that are playing. Right. You know, you you could be a, a really good Cubs team and a really good Cardinals team, or or you know even the Blue Jays. Throw a young Blue Jays team in there against a, another really good team. That would yeah. be that would be something kind of cool to to watch. But it's all about maybe the the pod raiser, somebody that was that would bring some. You know, eyes to the TV set and have, have a little different element to it. But I thought it was a home run. It was a lot of fun, and I'd watch it again. Yeah, I definitely would uh, watch it again as well. Coming up, Ben Wagner, the radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, will join us. He's got the call tonight. He'll help us preview Mariners Blue Jays coming up at 10 p.m. Eastern here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and on Sportsnet. It's Baseball Central. Rob Wong in for Jeff Blair with Kevin Barker here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Now, back to more Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. It is Baseball Central. Rob Wong in for Jeff Blair with Kevin Barker here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Blue Jays baseball coming up tonight, 10 o'clock Eastern. Blue Jays beginning a West Coast series in Seattle. I always, I always want to keep calling it Safeco. It's not Safeco anymore. It's T-Mobile Park. Yeah. So it's always going to be Safeco Old for Old habits are hard to break. <laughs> exactly. But uh, the Blue Jays looking to bounce back after their series split last night in L.A. against the Angels. We'll chat with the radio voice of the Blue Jays. Ben Wagner will join us in just a few moments' time. But uh, also want to mention, text line is open, as always. 590-590 is where you can reach us. We'll try to read some coming up at 6 o'clock. So send us your text about the uh, Blue Jays. you got a question for Kevin. Send them our way and uh, we'll get them to the air. We'll uh, hook up with Ben uh, in a moment here, but uh, let's quickly just chat about tonight's game. Robbie Ray going up against Chris Flexen, who uh, comes back to the major leagues after pitching in Korea last year and had a pretty solid season over in the KBO. Uh, Obviously found something because the season that he's had so far with the Mariners this year, Kevin, was not the same guy that we saw pitching for the Mets a few years ago when he had ERAs above six, had a 12 Mm -hmm. ERA, had a seven ERA back in 2017. What, what, like, how does that work? Because we do see it all the time where guys go to Japan, yeah, yeah. they go to the KBO, they go to Australia, wherever, independent ball, they come back to the majors, and they're completely different guys. Yeah, so, well, somebody believes in them. Yeah. It's it's about, you know, I, I trust you to go out there and give us a, a halfway decent start and give us a chance to win a game, and Seattle's giving him that. They, they give him the ball every five days and say, go get him. You know, we, we trust in you enough to do that, and th- this on the flip side of that for me is one of those times where the Blue Jays one through five, you know, hopefully Bo's in there and he's feeling better coming off of the rest last night and maybe he can give them some more quality of bats. But it's, you know, you, you pass the baton with quality of bats. That, mm. that for me is when you're facing like the, these guys that are having decent years, not great years, decent years, if you stay in the big part of the field and you're as good a lineup as the Blue Jays, Blue Jays are, 
you should have some good at bats. You should get some balls up out over the plate and be able to barrel up some things and start going back Lake City a little bit and and putting your distance away from that pitcher and letting your guy, which is Robbie Ray, who's one of the best pitchers in baseball. We could say that. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. He's, he's one of the he's right there with Rendon for the White Sox when it comes to, you know, it's me against you. I yeah. don't think you can hit it. And he does it with two pitches. Yeah. Well, I know you impressive. got it. What are the numbers, right, for, for Robbie Ray for the last few months here? They're just off the charts um, when well, it comes to his oh, stats. Yeah. Well, okay. We, we see, uh, we see uh, j- j- just ERA in July and August. It's 1.85. Just, nice. just think about that. It's, it's uh, since July 1st. His ERA is 1.85. An average against is 179. Now, you just think about him being left-handed, doing that in the American League East, doing that in some games in Buffalo and Dunedin, and doing it again in the American League East with a bunch of right-handers who can pull the ball in Fenway Park and and do what they do in, in Yankee Stadium and doing it basically with two pitches or a lot with one pitch. You know, he'll get after people when fastball counts to a fastball hitter, which is very impressive with that guy being lefty. And that, that hitter knows a hitter's coming, and that's – one thing of, you know, that's a tribute to him of the work he does between starts. You know, he's a, he's a big weight lifter and to, to maintain strength and be able to every single pitch for 100 pitches. Now, just think about that, how hard that is to command that and, and stay healthy enough to maintain velocity and, and be able to snap a hard slider off when a guy knows a, a, a true big league hitter knows that slider's coming and can still break it off the way he does is, is some kind of impressive. It definitely is. Blue yeah. Jays and Mariners coming up tonight here at 10 o'clock on Sportsnet 590. The fan, the man that will have the call on the radio side of things is Ben Wagner, and he joins us now on Baseball Central with Rob Wong and Kevin Barker. Uh, how's, the, how's the West Coast games been treating you so far, Ben? <laughs> uh, probably like you, Rob. Late nights, and then we <laughs> sleep in, and we use that as an excuse to roll out of bed a little bit later than the rest of North America, right? Yeah. Uh, but, hey, I think, you know, watching those four games from the Blue Jays, there were some highlights, but there were some big disappointments, too. Uh, I think everybody was kind of rocked back with what Jose Barrios didn't have last night, and you realize that, you know, as good as the first two starts are, you still have to go out, you have to execute pitches, and when your fastball command isn't there, everything else is suspect. And, you know, that was a grind for him to get through at the start of that ball game. Okay, when you saw Otani doing it both sides of the ball, you, you exactly what you thought you'd see? Um, pretty much. You know what? Um, he's faster. You know, watch it. And again, we're not, we're not there. We're not in Los Angeles. We're watching it off the monitor. But he's faster watching him take extra bases. He tripled into the right field corner. And I was quite surprised in that first game of the doubleheader that he ended up at third base with pretty much ease. Uh, you know, I mean, he's just an unbelievable athlete. And uh, he threw a lot of cutters last night and four-seam fastballs that were like 91, 92. Mm-hmm. But when he wanted to go 96 and 97, and he even touched 98, it was always there in the tank for him. So that was pretty impressive. Um, the way that he handled the bat, even the ones that he was <laughs> was overmatched against, and the one against Amber, uh, Adam Simber kind of sticks out, you know, when he was spinning the slider yep. right at him. Um, but overall, very impressive. Very impressive player, and you, you understand why he is is the game's superstar. 
Yeah, he is uh, an absolute unicorn and has such uh, had such a, an incredible season so far. So Kevin and I, you know, we were just talking about Vladdy, of course, and that's one of the big topic conversations surrounding the Blue Jays right now. This slump that uh, he is going through, and it's uh, hard to watch because the the first four months of the season, Ben, were so incredible. He uh, looked to really have turned the corner. Everybody's got their opinion on on what's going on right now from your vantage point. What, what do you see with Vladdy at the plates, and I mean even in the field right now? Because the, the you know, there's been some moments on defense of late where it's uh, started to creep in where uh, he's been struggling out there as well. Well, I think, you know, we, we focus on the plate because he was explosive. That's how I would sum up the first four months of the regular season. Explosiveness, his hands, the bat speed, the entire torque that he was putting on, the entire attack of whatever the pitch was, and the pitch recognition that goes along with it. He just looks slow right now. He looks out of sync. Um, and it is a rut. The numbers speak for themselves, and what we're seeing kind of off the bat looks very reminiscent of when he first came up in 2019, where he's getting a lot of the top half of a baseball and pounding it right into the ground. Uh, you know, he's got a, he's got tremendous back control, bat speed. We know his hands are really good, and even at this, you know, he's able to make some contact go the other way uh, and at least reach base at some points. But right now, he just looks like he's in a. Uh, a terrible funk yeah um and it goes back to even before the all-star break this isn't just something that's recent Ben, occasionally you need to give a, a a great player a day off you think it would be okay to give him a couple of days off just to say go do your cage work do you, do you think they're there yet or do you think that's even worth worth talking about I think that that's in the discussion, yes. Yeah. You, you know, we we chronicled last Sunday when he took that day off at Rogers Center, and that was the first time in 161 games that, that Vladdy, bridging two seasons now, mm -hmm. but 161 consecutive games that he was either in the starting lineup at first base or as a DH. Uh, he's been on base a ton. And think back, again, you know, with all these numbers, you have to be on base with those numbers. Mm -hmm. So he's running wild with the Blue Jays scoring a ton of runs, and that takes its toll. I'm not saying, you know, fatigue is the number one answer here, but because of the timing thing is, is why he's not producing at the plate, but it goes hand in hand. I'm all for resting somebody because that's why Vladimir Guerrero Jr., if you think back, elected not to participate in the home run derby because he thought it would be too taxing on his body. So if already they were talking about fatigue levels and making sure that he's seeing the long game here, and the long game is yeah. good ball games, being in the lineup, producing through August and September, if a couple of days yeah. here in the middle of August are going to make it better for him the rest of the stretch, I'm all for it'd it. It'd be a tough sell to his teammates, though. You, know, you hear George Springer all the time. Even when he, when he walked it off, he was saying, I just want to pass the baton to the big boy on, on the on-deck circle. It's, it'd be a tough sell. Occasionally, a really good hitter needs a mental break. That's just the thing you're sort of seeing because, you know, you saw the, the, you saw the, the rundown last night. That's baseball 101. You saw the pickoff where he's in front of the bag instead of straddling the bag. That's, that's baseball 101. And you, you, I just, I just, maybe sometimes occasionally you need to be the big boy in the room and raise your hand and go, we need to give the kid a, a break a little bit, but I'd be a tough sell, I think. I think, it, well, it's a tough sell because, you know, the potential is in there and is yeah. today going to be the day that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. busts out. Know, you don't want right? to be, you, you know, you don't want to 
press that button, then all of a sudden things go the other way, and it's now sideways on you. Uh, the mental lapse yesterday in the rundown, absolutely, 100%. And uh, we haven't seen, we have seen a couple of those, and not only just from Vladdy, but some other players too. Uh, if if that mental grind is weighing on somebody, somebody has to step in, whether it's Charlie in the communication with the players or somebody that evaluates, and you just need to talk to Vladdy and make sure it's okay. Ed Wagner, the radio voice of the Blue Jays, joining us here on Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Rob Wong and Kevin Barker. Uh, Bo Bichette, still waiting to see uh, a lineup and if he's going to be in there. I know Charlie Montoyo said yesterday that uh, they're they're hopeful that that will be the case. And, you know, the the other night, of course, when the, the Blue Jays put up some runs, you didn't really notice them uh, not being there. And then uh, last night, you're like, oh, they uh, probably need the, one of the best hitting shortstops uh, in the league. I mean, what's your, what's your expectation? Do we see Bo back in there tonight? Or, or do you think it's still uh, a situation where that uh, shin needs to rest up a little bit more? I think it de- determines on whether he feels he can go through nine innings today. I think he needs to get to the field, do some warm-ups, and then he'll he'll give them the thumbs up. I f- my gut tells me Bo's going to be in the lineup today, uh, but again, the cautiousness of of where this leg thing is, and it's been multiple foul balls in the same spot. Uh, Kevin, you can attest to this more than any of us can. Uh, those things linger, and Bo has been battling this now through three years in the major leagues because he fouls the ball basically off the same spot when he gets himself on the shin over and over and over and he was dragging that leg around and he tried to play and he was tested in that double header in los angeles and it nets him now sitting three out of the last five games yeah his strength is being aggressive and you wouldn't want him to go away from that i gotta ask you a question if 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 i had you to guess there's a blue jay a player in their lineup that leads baseball in rbis who do you think that would be since the All-Star break? My guess is Teoscar Hernandez. There you go. Do we do we, mean, not, ta- do we not talk about him enough? No, I, I've been, I feel like I've been bringing this up on the broadcast, too. He is one of the more underappreciated players in the game right now. Forget the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez is out there doing things uh, post-All-Star break, post-COVID on the IL list, and just having an absolute terror uh, on the baseball, I looked at this, his numbers over the last month. It's above 330, 13 extra base hits. He's producing with driving in runs. Uh, and again, you know, he has really rounded his game out to be a main cog in a very, very potent lineup. And think about where this lineup would be without Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, I, I love everything that Teoscar brings to the field every day. Uh, Starting first with his personality, which is awesome. I I love talking with the guy. He's got a good arm. He's improved tremendous leaps and bounds defensively. He runs the bases and, of course, the production. The production is right there for him. He's not getting the praise that he should. For for me, it's baseball IQ. It's, It's knowing it before it actually happens, which is very hard to learn on the fly at the big league level. But the number is 30. He's had 30 RBI since the All Star break. He's been really good. Yep, he uh, really has. Uh, and hopefully he can keep it going tonight. Blue Jays need some offense to uh, win these games out in Seattle. Ben, appreciate the time. We'll let you rest up, and uh, we'll hear from you in about four hours' time. Thanks for this. Way to go, buddy. Sounds good. I'll bring the coffee. See you. <laughs> there you go. There's uh, Ben Wagner, the radio voice of the Blue Jays, joining us here on Baseball Central. Rob Wong and Kevin Barker. Once again, you can send us your text, 590-590. Give us your name and your location, your thoughts on the state of the Blue Jays right now. The uh, series split in uh, LA against the Angels this you know seven game western road trip 
Uh, the West trip for the teams coming out east from out east, Kevin, always difficult, of course. I think uh, that's a conversation that always yeah. happens. But, you know, two games, a four-game split in uh, L.A. against the Angels, two and two. You know, where do you put that on sort of a scale of one yeah. to ten? One being uh, not very good or good, and then ten being I'm, you know, I'm really gonna, bad. I'm going to go on the not very good. Yeah. When, when, they're, when the Angels didn't have, don't have Trout, they don't have Redone, uh, Justin Upton hasn't been any good. They haven't had. They didn't have Walsh for a couple of games there. You know, uh, Brios wasn't real good. Vladdy hasn't been good in that series. Yeah, I was expecting three or four or a sweep. I got to mm. be honest with you. You know, with the way the Blue Jays was rolling in there, the the confidence they had, the the rotation, the way it's been. You know, they sort of figured out highest leverage situations who they want to go to, which was making a, a ton easier on Petey and Charlie just to. You know, we got this guy because this guy's been there and done it before. He's got a lot of confidence in doing it. So I'm I'm a little dis- disappointed because going to Seattle is not going to be the easiest thing. I, I say they should take two out of three, yeah. but, you know, Seattle's trying to take two out of three. They're doing it at home. A lot of things have to go right. Players for the Blue Jays have to step up and play better for them to be playing better and win more games. But, yeah, I'm sort of in the camp of, uh, you know, it's a little disappointing uh, playing 500 at, at the Angels. Yeah, uh, I think I'm with you there for sure, even though it's a tough spot out in the West Coast. Uh, don't forget, uh, you can send us your text, 59590. Give us your name and your location. We'll read those. Coming up, Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com will uh, also join us at 630. He's got a new piece up on ESPN.com. The end of tanking, how to make every MLB team try to win every year. That is the uh, title of the piece. We'll also talk to him about the White Sox and Cubs since he covers them as well. Lots more still to come here on Baseball Central. Rob Wong in for Jeff Blair with Kevin Barker here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Back to more Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Rob Wong, Kevin Barker with you here on Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Don't forget Blue Jays and Mariners coming up tonight, 10 o'clock Eastern here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Ben Wagner has the call on the radio side of things. You can also watch it on Sportsnet. Immediately after the ball game, it is Jays Talk with Josh Goldberg and Show Ali. Send us your text, 590-590. Give us your name and your location. We'll read those coming up shortly. But, you know, I was thinking about this last night. We talked about the Field of Dreams game, Kevin, and uh, I saw Michael Kopech coming to that game for the White Sox. Yeah. Throwing 100, yeah. nasty breaking ball. Um, he obviously was a big piece in the uh, Chris Sale trade a few years ago um, that the White Sox were uh, able to acquire him uh, in that deal along with uh, Yoan Moncada. And I couldn't help but think, man, this might be, might be mm. what the Blue Jays could get when Nate Pearson returns. Ooh. Having a guy throw 100 with a nasty breaking ball. We've seen it. It was such a short stint in the playoffs last year against the Rays. But it got me thinking, watching Michael Kopech, that might be what the Blue Jays might be getting here with Nate Pearson over the final month and a bit of the season. Now, every once in a while, at the back end of a game, when, when those guys are coming out, you got to do that with a little, I'm mad at you. Yeah. You think Nate Pearson can do that? Like, Nate Pearson with a little... Like, you know, I got a good fastball, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I'm going to let you know it after I punch you out. You think you can do that? Like, there's got to be a little of that. I'm mad at you. I hate you. Yeah. You're taking food off my table. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. Have we seen that? I, I, I don't know if he has it in him. Like, like right. okay, I'll get another, another question. Say Nate Pearson comes up. They throw him out there in the seventh inning. He gives up two runs, walks a guy, gives up a two-run homer. He gets three outs. Next day, you you think he can erase the two-run homer, come back the next day, and go three up, three down? That's what you got to ask yourself. The only reason I say that, we've never seen it. We haven't seen it, yeah. That's the thing is, I know everybody is just so intrigued with 
the 110 miles an hour thing that his dad was saying. He'd be the first guy to ever do it. I would rarely see him throw 100. That's the thing is, and and every time I hear him talk about, you know, uh, or people talking about him, they say it's 94 to 100. Huh? No, 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 no. I don't want to see the 94s. I want to <laughs> see the 98, 99, 100 pitching at that so the secondary pitch that he throws doesn't have to be great because he can locate that down and away to a lefty. He can go up and in to a lefty with the heater, and now he can throw the breaking ball wherever he wants to throw it because he throws so hard and he can locate it. That's what I want to see. And until you see that, how can you throw him in the seventh inning or the eighth inning? I, it was just, it was just very, it was telling when you heard Charlie say somebody ask him about where would you, where would you throw Nate Pearson, and he said sixth and seventh inning. Mm. He didn't say seventh and eighth inning. Like seventh and eighth inning is a little different than sixth and seventh. When you say sixth and seventh, it's more sixth inning than seventh inning, right? Or yeah. he would have said seventh and eighth inning. It's that kind of thing. So, I'm intrigued. I'd love to see him maintain 100 or 98, 99, that kind of thing. But until you see it, how can you be excited about it? Right. Well, I guess that's the biggest thing, like you said. We, we haven't seen it. And until we see it yeah. you know, on a consistent basis, you know, you can't really rely on it uh, too much. You know, the person that normally sits in this chair says it all the time that, I mean, he's kind of put him, you know, out of mind. You get anything from Nate Pearson the yeah. rest of the year. It's great, but he's not relying. Jeff Flair's not relying on Nate Pearson for anything. He did that a little bit with George Springer, too, until you actually see him in the minor leagues play three games in a row in center field. How can you be excited about seeing him until yeah. you actually see that? So, same thing. All right, let's uh, grab a couple of texts here uh, before we hit the top of the hour. Uh, seeing one here from uh, Chris from Bowmanville. says, hey, Barker. This one's uh, specifically towards you, uh -oh. Kevin. Uh, I'm still upset about the uh, trade for Jose Barrios. Martin and Woods Richardson may not have been wow. in the Jays' plans, but Austin was on uh, his. If he turns into Derek Jeter 2.0, I'll be sick to my stomach. That from Chris. What are your thoughts? You got a five-year window. You know, you know, Austin Martin, every time I ask about Austin Martin, because I never really saw him play. I saw him on video. I'd see him on YouTube. I'd, I'd ask people around him. They say he's an athlete. He's got an idea at the plate. But, you know, he hit two home runs to minor leagues. And he doesn't have a position. So how can you be an impact player in the next five years if you don't have a position and you can't hit homers? So that would scream, I'm playing a little bit of second, and I'm hitting eighth or ninth. I don't really know where that comes into play. Now, Simeon Woods Richardson, now that one for me is you could close him. Mm. You eliminate three of the pitches. He's a two-pitch guy throwing 97-98, and he's an athlete. I take that. Yeah, that uh, might be one. That comes to back uh, back to bite the Blue Jays, but I think they're pretty happy even after last night with uh, Jose Barrios. As you mentioned, they got that five-year window. They're trying to win now, and uh, Woods Richardson and Martin were not in the plans, at least for the immediate future. Still to come, final hour of the program. We'll keep reading your text. 59590 is where you can reach us. Give us your name and your location. Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com will also join us. It's Baseball Central. Rob Wong, Kevin Barker here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. They go together like sunscreen and rosin. Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker, your hosts of Baseball Central. Get a grip right now on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Final hour of Baseball Central here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Rob Wong in for Jeff Blair with Kevin Barker. Blue Jays. Mariners coming up tonight at 10 o'clock here on Sportsnet 590. The fan game one of three. Robbie Ray will make the start against Chris Flexen. 
Still waiting to get a lineup. Still pretty early. We'll see if uh, Bo Bichette makes his return to the lineup tonight after uh, missing the last couple of games here with that bruised shin. And uh, hopefully we'll get an update on Corey Dickerson as well, who had to leave the game last night with lower back tightness. Still to come, we'll talk to Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com. We'll talk a little bit about the White Sox and Cubs as he covers both of those Chicago teams for ESPN.com, but also has a piece right now about teams trying to win. And the title of the piece is The End of Tanking, How to Make Every MLB Team Try to Win Every Year. So we'll talk to him about that. But right now, getting into your text, 59590 is where you can reach us. Give us your name and your location, your thoughts on the state of the Blue Jays. You got a question for Kevin. Now is your opportunity to get us your text. Uh, let's begin here with uh, Ruben in Alberta. He says, uh, you know that Vladdy's struggling when he's taking that first pitch right down the middle and guessing the rest of the at-bats. Uh, you've talked a, a lot about Vladdy, of course, and you know what he might be going through. What are your thoughts on Ruben thinking that, you know, just from watching him, that uh, he's maybe playing a little bit too much of a guessing game right now? Well, maybe. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know how big of a guesser he is. Very aggressive early in counts, which tell you he's not guessing a whole ton. He, you know, he's trying to get away from secondary pitches, which you can't make a living off something spinning. It's, it's, it's common sense, but yeah, I think he's in between, you know, again, I get back to that chase and hit thing. You know, you don't want to make an out on the first pitch when you're struggling, but when you're not struggling, you don't care to go up and be free swinging, not caring about anything. And that'll tell you, you know, it's between the ears more for me than it is a physical thing. Like he's tired or any of that. I don't, he's 22. I don't, I don't buy that really, but I do think the mental hurdle of, Every team coming in and the first guy they're thinking about how to get out is Vladdy. You know, can you go sinker in? Can you get him looking in there? Can you get him to open up his front hip? Can you get him to chase on a slider away if you establish that thing moving in? I do think there's a little something to that end. You know, he's, he hasn't struggled a ton in his career, which is gets back to that thing. Does he know how to struggle? Does he? Can he fall back on something? Is there something that when I was struggling a long time ago, yeah, he's 22, when he was struggling a long time ago, which is like, you know, a year ago. Is there something that he was doing then that he could click back and figure out and remember that this is what it felt like to get myself out of it? And that's what he's sort of going through for me and just simplified. I know it's very hard to say, and I'm sure he's saying it to himself, and I'm sure everybody around him saying it, and George Springer saying it to him. And, you know, just stay within yourself. Swing it at a strike. Get a good pitch to hit. And then everything will start escalating into what you think it is. And, and, and you know, the the Wagner conversation that we just had, will there come a time sooner than later that they give him a couple of days? Mm. Not so much a physical break other than a mental break. That'll be an interesting thing, too. Yeah, I, I don't know if you get the whole uh, phantom IL stints. I don't, I don't think you need to go yeah. that far, but, you know, maybe just a couple of days they, off here. They, they do have some days off coming do. up. So that, that's good um, for, for Vladdy right now if it is a, a case of fatigue. So uh, we shall see. Jerry in Toronto, Texas, 590-590 says, if everyone is healthy, what does the optimal Blue Jays lineup look like and where do guys like BGO and Danny Jansen fit in if everyone is healthy. We touched a little bit on Kevin yesterday who uh, started his rehab assignment down in Buffalo. He was doing uh, Kevin Biggio things through a couple of walks, but uh, Danny Jansen, we haven't talked a lot about, of course, still trying to come back from that uh, hamstring aggravation uh, a few weeks ago, Kevin, but those two guys specifically for me, I mean, they're on the outside looking in at, at this point. Yeah. Hey, that's for me. He said optimal lineup. I'll yeah. give you mine. The obvious ones up front is Springer, Vladdy, Simeon, in any order you want to make this, I'm just rhyming off names here. Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, I like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I'm sitting Randall Gritchick right now. I just think the the wild swings, 
you know, for long term, if you need to win a game, is he in your lineup? Defensively, I like him. Mm-hmm. Offensively, probably not. I'd, I'd put Corey Dickerson in there. Santiago Espinal, I like playing third base. You know, I'm, I'm going to take the defense over the offense. And Danny Jansen, for me right now, is not a big leaguer. I mean, I hate to say that. I'd rather have Kirk and Reese McGuire as my one-two, whoever order you want to, you know, sprinkle in there, whether a righty's throwing, whether a lefty's throwing, that kind of thing. Danny Jansen has to prove something. Defensively behind the plate, is Danny Jansen good enough to eliminate Either one of the guys right now that are playing for the Blue Jays behind the plate, you could say no to that. So he has to figure something out. And the Kevin Biggio thing, I've said it and I'll say it again. Until he makes a big mechanical change offensively, which is the eliminating the bent upper half. That is, it's he's an easy out. That's the gist of it. And until he makes an adjustment where he can drive down and through the baseball and not under it. You could say he's not a big leaguer either. Because where would he play? Is yeah. he playing second for you? No, that's Marcus Simeon. Is he playing short? No, that's Bo Bichette. Is he playing third? No, that's Santiago Espinal. He's not playing any three of those. For me, he's not playing the outfield. Right now, he's not a big leaguer. Uh, Jerry and Serrano, that uh, was the text from him. Let's move on to uh, Marion Scarborough, who texts us 595.90. says, do the Jays have any leeway this late in the season to uh, tinker with the lineup to maybe help Flatty's struggles at the plates? Or are we at the point where they need to keep things status quo and hopes he finds his way out of this slump because the season is winding down? They already bumped him to the three yeah. spot. You know, is it a case of if this continues that – He's batting fifth. He's batting probably not lower than fifth. I don't think he's going beyond that, but could you see a scenario nope. where that might happen? He he is still hitting in the first inning for me. He is still one of the two or three guys that's going to get the most at-bats. You want him hitting in the top three spots. He's obviously not leading off, so that's either going to be second or third. You've already moved him once. You've already said to him without saying it that we think you you are struggling enough to move you down a spot, whether that's physically, whether that's mentally. The physical part of it, we really don't know. We can't, we're not with him. Yeah, We don't hang out with him. We don't talk to him every day. We can just think, I've been there and done it before. I know the mental side of trying to make a big adjustment at the big league level on how pitchers are attacking you, that part of it. Now, can they give you a day off when they, you know, that day off before an off day? That would give him two full days to basically say, just Vladdy, don't even put your spikes on. Just go away. Go do something else. <laughs> go get tied up in the corner with tape. I don't care. But just, you know, give him that mental break of just being able to walk away. Maybe they can do that. But the actual moving them around the order, yeah, who who would you put third? Yeah. I, no, I mean, never say never, but I think the lineup that we're looking at right now, this is it for the rest of the year. Springer one, Semyon two, slide three, he, Bo four, and Teoscar five. He's still, and, even with the big struggles yeah. in August, will probably finish second in the MVP of the American League. So he has... You know, done remarkable things this year. I just think you'd be sending a bad message. And and he's still a great hitter. He's mm-hmm. just going through some things that maybe he can on the fly work through and, and hopefully get hot sooner than later. Yeah. And we, and we saw last night, I mean, him drawing that walk in, in the late stage of the game. I mean, pitchers know he's struggling, but yeah. they still got to respect him. So, I mean, there they're not go. just going to go up there and throw meatballs down the middle. They're going to pitch around him and make sure that they're not giving him anything to hit. So he's still going to be effective, even if he's up there, you know, not looking like the same guy we saw earlier. And hopefully that's uh, he'll get out of it. You know what? Yeah. It's a great thing. You picked that up. When you're struggling, you know, the difference between a one for three and a one for four, just mindset wise. Yeah. I'm not one for three. Your batting average is not going anywhere because you got so many at bats. One for four it is. Yeah. And he's looking at that. It's just, it's that little thing of, I won that day. And now I can move on to the next day and maybe hopefully go and win that next day too.
Uh, Louie in Mississauga, Texas, at 595.90 says, if the bullpen gets healthy, are you guys comfortable with that group in a playoff scenario? And if you're not, are you confident in the offensive group to carry any pitching struggles Ooh. in a playoff series? So we already talked about Nate Pearson. Um, the Blue Jays are expecting to get him back at some point before September, hopefully, and to have him in the pen. Julian Merriweather working his way back and obviously is uh, farther out than uh, Nate Pearson at this point. We'll see what happens with uh, Joaquin Soria to Meza. Those guys are going to be the earliest, of course. But you look at that pen now. You've got Soria. You've got uh, Meza back. You've got Pearson, Merriweather potentially. How do you feel about that group added into the Romanos and the yeah. Simbers and the Trevor Richards? I'm not sure, but I, I, I will tell you what I am confident in. I'm confident in Brios, Ray, Ryu, Manoa. Mm-hmm. I think if those four guys... And you can throw Mats in there. He's going to do – he probably give you five innings, give you a chance most of the time to win a game. But it's those four guys. If they can consistently not, – not all the time. Barrio, somebody's going to have a hiccup and some bullpen arm's going to have to pick it up. You're probably not going to win those days. But for the most part, if those four guys can give you six innings of mainly quality ball every time they go out, then that hides a lot of the names that you just mentioned that probably shouldn't be pitching – when it matters. Yeah. And then you don't have to go to as many consistently over and over and over again. That way you're only using a, you know, a, you can mix and match the highest key, key guys that you have in a bullpen. So do I feel tremendously confident? I do if the four guys in the rotation are doing most of the heavy lifting. Yeah. And I think the, the reality is you look at this team and this is how they're going to win games. As you touched on it, yeah. the starting rotation has got to be good and they got to bash the baseball. That's how this team wins. They don't win because they have a shutdown bullpen, you know, Simber Richards, Romano, they've been great, but they win because they bludgeon teams yeah. and they get guys that can go six innings, giving up three runs or less. That's and how this team wins. This may not be fair, but the 22 year old that we've been talking about most of the show can't be this guy yeah. in August. He has to be not the guy that was in the first half, but similar, like going, you know, one for three with a three-run homer, that kind of laddie. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting a text from Daryl in Belleville at 595.90. This is actually something that I know we've discussed on uh, Jay's talk, and the question is, if you could sign only one of Robbie Ray or Marcus Semyon to a contract extension, who would you sign, Kevin? You're looking at the all-star second baseman or question. the uh, all-star caliber starting pitcher. Huh. Okay. Well, that's a great question. Yeah. Can I say? Can I say both? <laughs> no, you cannot. I cannot say no, both. No, you cannot. That's not you an option. Not sit on the fence. You got to pick. <laughs> okay. One since, or the since other. Since they've traded for Barrios, since a lot of the main lineups in the American League East are heavy right-handed, I'm going to go with Marcus Simeon because I think. With the woes defensively that Bo has and a mentor that Marcus Simeon can be to him and can give Bo days off playing short, that kind of thing, and it's probably an upgrade. Mm-hmm. Marcus Simeon's not going to cost you a ton of money. He's just not. At his age, he'd be 31, I think, when you'd have to sign him in the offseason. He's not going to cost you a ton of money. Would you give him three at whatever that number would be? I would probably lean towards that because you could hit him second behind George Springer consistently American League East he's a pull hitter that plays well here he can hit velocity that's probably not going to go anywhere because that you know that mechanic thing at the plate that he can repeat over and over and over so a long story I would sign Marcus Simeon instead of Robbie Ray and the max effort thing scares me it really does interesting I mean I don't think you're losing either guy if you pick either one I'm I'm honestly looking more at Robbie Ray than I would Marcus Simeon only from this standpoint that you know if you're looking at free agency and yeah. the guys that are going to be available this offseason, 
it's a lot of guys that are in their mid to late 30s, yeah. whether it's a Zach Greinke yeah. or a Scherzer or Kershaw, Verlander. Those guys aren't coming here. So how much better can you do than a Robbie Ray yeah. out on the free And I would market? rather spend Robbie Ray money on Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez the next couple of years, if I'm, I'm going to take a serious run at him, at least I'm going to try yeah. in the offseason to trade for him. I think he's got a $13 million and a $14 million. I'd rather give him the $27 million than give it to Robbie Ray. Interesting. That's right. me. So, so there's the answer for uh, Daryl in Belleville. Joe in Orangeville, Texas, 595.90 says, uh, hey, guys, would you agree that for the most part, catchers bat low in the lineup? Aside from a few outliers, their average is the worst on the team. I don't understand how this can be. Uh, catchers see 100-plus pitches a game when they're catching. Why can't they see what the opposing pitcher yeah. is throwing, Kevin? Why Why do guys that catch well, the ball, why can't they hit? Most of them are defensive players first, not offensive players first. Uh, and it's when you squat and try and do those things, it's you put so much effort. Danny Jansen a couple years ago when when he was trying to figure out to, how to be reused personal catcher. And you would listen to him talk to Hazel May on pregame about just what it went into, you know, when you would throw this and how many times you're going to throw this. And if this guy's looking for that, we got to throw that. And he put so much effort into getting through those games that he forgot how to hit mm-hmm. or he forgot to put some effort into, you know, going to the cage as, as much as he would like to go to the cage. So they are so trying to be that catcher first, that framing first, not so much the throwing anymore, but to get the pitchers through games, they sort of forget about the hitting part of it. And quite frankly, I think teams would rather have a def- defensive catcher first than a hitter first catcher. Yeah, I think that that's a great point because, you know, when you really break it down, uh, you know, you bat, you know, maybe four times a game. You get four times to really yeah. impact it at the plate. But if you're behind the plate, you have to impact it every single inning. You know, you're catching all these pitches. I mean, that's where a lot of these guys have the bigger impact, which which is, you know, makes it even more impressive that guys like, you know, Buster Posey or a guy like Yadier Molina when he was at his peak. I mean, those guys were doing it on both ends at a big time level. And which is why both of those guys are Hall of Fame players, of course. But even seeing, you know, uh, just, you know, a guy like Salvador Perez, right? Like the the ability that that guy has at his size to Mm -hmm. be able to do all that stuff, too. I mean, it's it's really remarkable when you really think about it. Yeah, you name three three guys and there's. How many teams? Yeah, it's like, right. That, that's, that's, the, that's the reality. That's right? it, There's right? not it, a lot of guys that can do exactly that. right. It's it's so they're so worried about getting guys through games when it comes to framing and and pitch sequencing and you know the, this and that when it comes to the defensive side that a lot of the times they forget how to hit and and put a lot of effort into hitting which clubs don't ask them to do both quite frankly. Steve from uh, Scartown, Texan five ninety five ninety says, uh, "Hey guys, I like the chances in the playoffs versus any Ugh. team. However." Who would be the more preferable versus less preferable matchups for the Blue Jays against the top teams in the AL? And I think at this point, you know, barring something crazy, we're looking at the wild card for the Blue Jays. And you look at the teams that are in the mix here that the uh, Jays could potentially face. It's the Yankees, the Red Sox, Oakland. And I mean, Oakland's pretty close to Houston. So let's, you know, lob them in there as well. Rank those teams from one to four, Kevin, from who you would like to face the most to who you would like to face the least. Face the most. Okay, you're, fi- you're figuring probably when it comes down to it, they're probably not going to be able to set their lineup. You wouldn't get Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole would have to pitch. He's probably not pitching the wild card game. I would probably take the Yankees first if I were going to face. It probably wouldn't be one of those teams, though. It would be a higher-seeded team like the, you know, the Astros, definitely not. Just you'd have to go to Houston and <laughs> and face that team against that lineup who's veteran, 
Correa and, and Altuve doing the things that they do, Brantley doing it from the left side. It's just that that's a tall order to be able to go in there. So that probably the least team I'd want to face. Uh, you know, the Red Sox, it's a hit or miss. You you, you got to figure what's Chris Sale giving them. Do you do you feel scared to face their bullpen? They say it's a bullpen game. Would you be okay matched up their bullpen against the Jays' lineup? Mm. I'm not scared of the Red Sox. So I would say the scariest would be the Astros. And then everybody else, I'm really not scared. Oakland, I, you know, I'm not really scared of Oakland. I think I could, I could, you know, if I control the running game, if I don't beat myself, I think the rotation that I have against Oakland would keep us in it long enough to, you know, figure out a chance for for Vladdy and and Bo and you know the lineup to have enough quality at bat second time through that they could score enough runs to beat Oakland. So the gist of that is I'll take everybody but the Astros. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, I think I'm with you there. I mean, the Astros are the most terrifying uh, team out of all four of those. And you know, we talked yesterday about. If you were the Blue Jays and, you know, you had three pitchers to go to right now in a series, who would you go to? And, and we both agreed it's Ray, Barrios, and Manoa. But if you've got one guy to start, you know, I think it honestly is dependent on the matchup because I think if you're facing the Yankees, the left-handed power of Gallo and Rizzo scares me a little bit that I'm not sure I want to start Jose Barrios in that game. I know you got Judge, Stanton, yeah. some scary right-handed hitters there, but – no, I've seen Robbie Ray uh, effective against those guys. I've seen Robbie Ray effective against the Red Sox as well. I still think, you know, most matchups, I'm going Robbie Ray. I, I just think his strikeout ability, his ability to neutralize left-handed hitters, I like that as well. I know he's, you know, can give up the occasional homer, but we've seen it's yeah. the occasional, um, you know, solo homer. But I, I don't feel like we've talked a lot about Alec Manoa in any of these matchups. Like, how closer are you to going with Manoa? I don't think it would happen. I think that would be crazy. Yeah, well, I think it'd be I'll start in a, in a one-game playoff. I think it would be all hands on deck. Yeah. He would be getting in the game. Now, starting it, that'd be a different thing. It would depend on how many righties, uh, you know, what he's looked like up to that start, up to that game. Does it look like, you know, he's he's had a drop-off in velocity? Is the break on the on the slider still good? All of those things would come into play. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't be scared to throw Alec Manoa. I think the bigger the moment, the better he'll be. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like that. I think if the sinker's working, if he's throwing that for strikes and can throw the four-seamer where he wants to, you could argue that. It's, for me, swing and miss stuff. You got one game. You want to not let the other team put the ball in play a lot. That's the whole part of this is you're trying to get a bunch of guys, lefty-righty, that can strike people out. Late in seasons, we talk about Vladdy being tired physically. Okay, that means bat speed's going down. Mm-hmm. So you would have trouble catching up to high velocity, late breaking, biting stuff. Who are the two guys that come to mind for the Blue Jays? Robbie Ray, Alec Manoa. There you go. Yeah, those are the those are there the it two is. guys. So you know you don't even though he's a rookie and and he hasn't been there and done it before. You're going with stuff, just pure stuff. Me against you. Two guys. Yeah, that would take some uh, brass. You know what's to uh, you make that win? call. Hey, it is, and if look, if the Blue Jays get into a spot where they're making that decision, that's a good thing. The, Means they're in that spot to make that the decision. The other two guys are going to pitch in the next series. You got to get to the next series. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to see what the call uh, will be if that is the case that the Blue Jays are in a one card, uh, one game wild card. Who are they going to throw uh, in that spot? So, uh, like I said, we'll uh, talk to Jesse Rogers of yeah. ESPN.com coming up in uh, just about ten minutes time and uh, we'll get his thoughts on the White Sox and Cubs of course but you know just watching that game last night quickly going back to the Field of Dreams game and uh, the White Sox now they're getting healthy 
Uh, they got Eloy Jimenez back. He's one of the hottest hitters in the league right now. Crushed a home run last night. Yeah. We talked about how good Tim Anderson is. Michael Kopak coming out, throwing 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liam Hendricks, you know, was an all-star this year. He's been great. Last night, kind of a blip. I mean, you don't expect to give up four runs with uh, two outs. And a guy like that who's been arguably the best closer in Major League Baseball the last, you know, two, three years. Yeah. But that a team is a wagon. Like, I, we talk about not wanting to face the Astros. Yeah, I I don't know if I'd want to face the White Sox in any playoffs. Maybe, series. maybe yeah. it's it's still they they are in the worst division in baseball in my mind. It's you know there's it takes a lot of luck. Uh, Eloy Jimenez is a you know with the with the chess salad that he's working the the, <laughs> the you know the unbuttoned jersey all the way down like the fourth button. They they are yeah they're going to be a handful. But do you really trust it? Like the 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 record against teams that are 500 or better is really bad. They play in a really bad division. Just saying. You put the Blue Jays in that division. Mm-hmm. Where are they at? Uh, I mean, they're up there. That, yeah. that is for sure. So that's, yeah. that's you know, it's they have a really good team. Their rotation is really good. You get Rodon back healthy, right? You got a lefty-righty combination with, with him and Lance Lynn, and you could sprinkle in a, a couple of other veteran guys. That back in the bullpen is really good. You mentioned the Kopech. Yeah. They got a lot of arms to throw at you, but I still got to see it. I, I hate to say it that way. Yeah. Hey, it's once you get to the playoffs, you know, anything can happen. Uh, yeah. We've seen it all the time with uh, teams that on paper are really, really good and uh, things just go south come the uh, post season. But uh, the White Sox impressing last night with that big win over the Yankees, helping out the Blue Jays, but uh, Toronto unable to take advantage of it. Losing that game against the Angels, they will begin a series tonight in Seattle against the Mariners, 10 p.m. Eastern here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and on Sportsnet. We'll talk more about that. Uh, Before the end of the program, but coming up next, we'll chat with Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com. He's got a new piece up on the website. The title is The End of Tanking, How to Make Every MLB Team Try to Win Every Year. We'll talk to him about that and a little bit about the Cubs and White Sox, too, since he covers them for ESPN. It is Baseball Central, Rob Wong, Kevin Barker here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Now, back to more Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Rob Long, Kevin Barker here on Baseball Central and Sportsnet 590 The Fan. We are just over three hours away from first pitch. Blue Jays and Mariners coming up tonight from T-Mobile Park. Got to get used to saying that. T-Mobile Park, Blue Jays and Mariners tonight in Seattle. I guess we'll see the, the border situation, what, what it's like over there, if uh, any Canadians are going to be able to sneak through and head to the ballpark. Yeah. As we know, normally when things are open, it's uh, like 80% <laughs> Blue Jays fans that take over that ballpark when the uh, the, the Blue Jays head out west. But, uh, you know, I think even if it's not, it's still going to be a lot of fun, but uh, it would be completely different, I think, for a lot of the new guys, especially the Springers, the Semians, Robbie Ray, Jose yeah. Barrios, to see what that's actually like. Crazy. Well, yeah, and, and by, by the way, Seattle's pretty good. Yeah. So you add that to it, too, and, and adds a whole different element to it. It's, it's it's always a fun game, especially to watch with all the Blue Jays fans, and you can see them running through the concourse and <laughs> yelling and screaming for the Blue Jays. That's it's pretty cool. So hopefully the Blue Jays can play well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be nice if the Blue Jays could bounce back after the series split in L.A. against the Angels. We'll talk to uh, Jesse Rogers of MLB.com coming up in just a few moments here. Has a new piece up on uh, ML or ESPN.com, I should say, of uh, – 
about the end of tanking is the title, how to make mm. every MLB team try to win every year. And, you know, this is an interesting conversation, Kevin, because, you know, the Blue Jays here for many, many years, there were uh, a lot of ups and uh, a lot of downs, more downs than ups. I mean, you were obviously a part of the team when uh, things were starting to trend a little bit upwards and in 06 where they made the big splashes with A.J. Burnett and B.J. Mm-hmm. Ryan. And, uh, you know, they were obviously trying to win some ball games. They're a tough division, always has been. But, yeah. you know, I look at teams like the uh, Oakland A's, you know, at times where, you know, they haven't uh, been willing to spend some money and, you know, they're okay. Or the Tampa Bay Rays, some of the uh, the lean years they've been through. The Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, some of these teams that just haven't had a ton of success throughout the years. And, you know, the Rays and A's doing well right now during this era. But if we could ever get to a situation where, you know, you would incentivize teams to actually want to try to win and want mm. to try to compete, I think that would be so much better than what we see right now where, the Orioles or even the Cubs, you know, 10 years ago, they're just tanking it up to try to get high draft picks and try to rebuild. Like baseball would be in such a better spot if you had all 30 franchises invigorated and wanting to see their team. For me, that has a lot to do with the division they play in. You you mentioned the Orioles. Look, 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 you know, with where the Blue Jays are at now, you got three monster teams and a team, I, I guess they're tanking that has basically fallen off the planet Earth and trying to start from the ground up and do it that in American League East, when the Orioles ever going to be good? And how would you even make it, you know, able for them to compete against the Yankees who spend whatever money they want to spend and the, and the Rays who invent it before, you know, is actually <laughs> happens and the Blue Jays are starting to be the Blue Jays. So it's, it's, it's a great question, and it's probably a question forever, I would think. Yeah, well, let's ask our uh, next guest. It is Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com. He's got the piece up on the website right now. The title is The End of Tanking, How to Make Every MLB Team Try to Win Every Year. Jesse, thanks for uh, joining us today. And obviously, there's not uh, one quick fix solution to all of this, but from the people you spoke to around the league, you know, what are some of the ideas that are being thrown around to uh, try to remedy this because uh, we see it all the time. And, you know, Kevin and I were just talking about it, the Baltimore Orioles. If you're an Orioles fan, Mm. I can't imagine this is uh, too much fun right now. You love, you know, the fact that you've got an Adley Rutschman, but, you know, you're looking at the Blue Jays and the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Rays, and wondering when is that finally going to be our time again? There's a lot of teams around Major League Baseball going through this right now. Yeah, there really is. Good to be with you guys. And uh, this was kind of a player-centric piece, talking to players and, and even agents who sometimes you know can ramble on about these things because they want to see more money going to their, their free agents. And you know the big thing for the players is they just want everybody competing sort of um, every year instead of just the top teams and then kind of the bottom teams every so often, you know, jump into the free agency market or actually compete for a World Series. Now, there are exceptions to the rule. The Rays are doing it without a high payroll and things like that. But in general, um, I think the biggest number or stat I could, I could put in the piece is that idea that the top 10 value teams spent $900 million on free agents last offseason, and the bottom 10 value teams spent $345 million on free agents. So they kind of want to see the bottom get lifted up one way or another, and then how do you get to there, of course, is a debate. Um, players are more than happy to talk about a salary floor for teams, a minimum payroll. Um, I mentioned $100 million there. Twelve teams were under $100 million to start this season. But, of course, owners are going to say that that should come with a salary cap, which is kind of probably you know, a logical way of looking at things. The other thing is, and this was kind of the interesting part to me of the, of the, of the article, is that if players get paid sooner, let's say four years uh, to get to free agency, let's say one or two years to get to arbitration. If there is arbitration, 
they feel like that will will get teams more competitive um, because earlier in the in the player's cycle, um, they're going to realize I'm going to lose this guy. I, I I've, I've got to move quickly. I've got to put a, a a good team around my star draft pick that I just called up to the majors. You know, I don't have six years to figure this thing out. So. I don't even know if that would work, but that's one thing they think would happen. If you pay players at a younger age and let them get to free agency sooner, it'll just get the market moving a little bit more. And the bottom line is instead of five teams interested in X player, they want 10 teams. Instead of 15 interested in a star, they want 20. And just that that creates the market moving. So those were some of the ideas that, that were discussed with, with me and players and agents and things like that. Yeah, for teams that can't spend a ton of money, is there any way you can you can do something different with the draft that you, either teams that don't want to spend that much money or can't? Well, I mean, there is an interesting thing about, you know, just being um, more competitive throughout the year, even if you don't make the playoffs. A lot of people suggested the best non-playoff team gets the number one pick. Um that might create some um, unintended consequences um, because, uh, you, you know, you can, it, the teams that are at the worst may not get the first pick in the draft. And, and sometimes they need that to, to sort of bolster them or get them going. Um, it, it's, it's a complicated issue because there's, there's, there's always two sides to every, everything you want to bring up. Um, you know, the bottom line is they want, the players want to avoid sort of the cycle of rebuilding over and over and over for certain teams. And now we've seen big market teams like the Chicago Cubs go through it. You know, Houston's a big market team. They went through a a cycle of rebuilding and and, and it really sort of um, limits the market. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but uh, the draft is really sort of ancillary to me because it's really, um, it's not like football where you can get immediately better Mm -hmm. if you get the number one pick. So it's kind of like a secondary thing just to make August and September a little bit more competitive for everyone, let's give the best, the top pick to the best non-playoff team. But again, that comes with some unintended consequences, I think. Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com joining us here on Baseball Central. Rob Wong and Kevin Barker with you. How, how do you think expanded playoffs might play into this, where if you have more teams uh, that could make the postseason, that might cause teams to uh, try to go for it a little bit more. Do you think that would be a potential solution, Jesse? Yeah, and I, I think the league would have liked that this year, but of course the players, as you guys probably know, didn't want to give that up as a bargaining chip. I think the players said no to a lot of things over the last year or so, um, getting ready for this CBA negotiation. I, I, I think during the pandemic, if, if the CBA was years away from being negotiated, I think things would have turned out different. So the whole thing was kind of tied together. Um, so I do think the players are going to go for that expanded playoffs. There's no reason they wouldn't it would create a little bit more urgency among some teams, maybe a little bit more spending um, in season, you know, um, uh, trades and, and all that stuff, a little more spending off season, obviously. And then, and then, and then more trades in season and the, the trickle down effect of more playoff teams, I think is a positive for players, but they know that's worth millions and millions and millions to the owners. So they're not willing to just give it away. They have to bargain for that. And, and the players will want something in return to hand over all that playoff money. But, of course, the players will see some of it as well. I, I don't think there's any doubt more than 10 teams are going to make the playoffs moving forward. At least that's my guess. Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com joining us here on Baseball Central. Rob Long and Kevin Barker. Uh, Jesse also covers the White Sox and Cubs for ESPN. And you mentioned the Cubs before. And, you know, obviously they went through that uh, rebuild less than 10 years ago. Worked out. Led to success. Uh, success a World Series title. 
Are they headed back, do you think, for a, a lengthy one here with the moves they made at the deadline? Or is this more of a retool this offseason where they might use some of the prospect capital that they have and some of the money that they may have to to try to turn this thing uh, around pretty quickly? What are, you, what are your thoughts on the Cubs uh, this yeah, offseason? I, I think it's... Yeah, I think it's the latter thing. I think they're going to do their best to retool rather than rebuild. Maybe I'm buying into the company line a little bit here, but things have changed. The expectations have been raised along with ticket prices, mind you, and everyone assumes that Wrigley will be full even if they have a last-place team. That is not true. I will bet good money on that. First of all, it's never full in April and September when school is going on and bad weather, especially early. In May, sometimes it's not even full. So, um, add a bad team to it. Okay, it might be full on a beautiful day in June or July, um, but but not as often as you might think, and especially with this team, which is lacking stars. Now, if you have a couple stars and you're at least okay, all right, then you'll fill some seats. But um, ownership owns a lot of the places around Wrigley Field, the rooftops across the street. They need bodies in Wrigleyville and Wrigley Field, and you don't do that in a four- or five-year rebuild with ticket prices as they are. So I think you're exactly right. They're going to use their their assets financially and with the prospects they have to move a little bit quicker. Now, the answer isn't signing seven free agents who are 30 years old. The answer is being stealth, signing a couple guys maybe that are 27, um, and then you know moving quickly that way. That doesn't mean contending next year necessarily, but it means maybe a decent team next year and contending as soon as 23. So um, that's the best-case scenario. There are worst-case scenarios because there's no guarantee – when you strip it all the way down, that you're going to move quickly and get it back up unless you hit a couple home runs on some, on, on some upcoming moves. And, you know, we'll see if Jed Hoyer can do that as the new boss of the Cubs. Jesse, do you think the White Sox is the best team in the American league? Well, I think they're in the, they're in the team photo and, and, and worth arguing. I, I would put them there because of pitching. Look, every team has flaws, but if you have starting pitching, you can go a long way. And then you add Kimbrough and Liam Hendricks at the end of, of a game that can go a long way, too. They can shorten the game on both ends. If Giolito is on his game, boy, that's a seven or eight-inning eight outing that way. If they get a five- or six-inning outing out of Lance Lynn because his pitch counts up, well, you shorten it with Kopech, Hendricks, and, and Kimbrell, even though you know Hendricks gave it up last night. And he, does, he, he has given up 10 home runs this year, so that's something to watch. But um, when you have pitching, you have a shot. And it's not like they have pitching and just a terrible offense. They have a good offense, a couple flaws maybe against right-handed pitching. So I would certainly put them up against some of these teams. I will say Houston kicked their butt down in Houston. The Yankees kicked their butt in New York. So they, they do need to win some of these series. That's why I think last night was a good win, um, despite you know giving up that lead. They need to win some, some good series. They play Toronto coming up, as you guys know. They have 14 straight against plus 500 teams. That's going to be an interesting interesting stretch to get them ready for the playoffs. So I think it's only kind of like experience that might hold them back a little bit. But they're as good as anybody on the mound. Yeah, two two alpha males back into the bullpen and, and Hendricks and, and Kimbrell. How would Tony Larusa handle that in the playoffs? Well, I think it's the hot hand. And right now, mm. you know, Kimbrell's given up one home run. Liam Hendricks has given up ten. Now that's not enough to make a change or anything. And look. Whoever pitches, whoever doesn't pitch the ninth is still going to have to pitch the eighth, which yeah. is awfully important. Right now, it's certainly Hendricks' job. He was the guy that's there. He signed the five, you know, $56 million deal, whatever it is. He's going to be here past this year. Um, I, there's no doubt he's the man. I think in the playoffs, certainly if he's used twice in the ninth inning in back-to-back games, maybe he gets a rest and, and, and Kimbrell would get the next one. 
So there is an opportunity where each guy can pitch at his best because they have a luxury of two closers. But right now it does seem like Kimbrell gets the eighth and Hendricks the ninth. But I don't think anything's written in stone. It's also about the hot hand as you move into October. Yeah, some pretty good options there yeah. for uh, Tony La Russa <laughs> yeah. at his uh, disposal. And we saw, you know, last night Michael Kopech as well coming out throwing 100 miles an hour with that uh, nasty breaking ball. So that bullpen is uh, pretty good uh, right now. Jesse, we appreciate the time today. Thanks so much for doing it. Thanks a lot. You got it, guys. Take care. You too. There's Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com. And, you know, we, we talked earlier, took a text about the uh, Jose Barrios trade with Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson yeah. going to Minnesota. And look, I'm always of the idea that I'm always going to trade prospects for legitimate major league talent. And you look at the White Sox, and they're an example of those deals working out really well. Because we see it all the time. I mean, how often do, you know, I think of, I always think of CC Sabathia and that trade that the, you know, Indians made with uh, the Brewers all those years ago. And they got a guy named Matt Laporta. And Matt Laporta's can't miss. And Mm -hmm. this guy's going to be the next big stud. Didn't work out. We see trades all the time at the deadline or in the offseason where, you know, these big-time prospects don't work out. But you look at the White Sox, and Lucas Giolito came from the uh, the Nationals in a deal. Right. Dylan Cease uh, in that deal, I believe, as well. You look at Michael Kopech, Yohan Makata in the Chris Sale trade, uh, Eloy Jimenez in a deal as well. I mean, yeah. these are guys that they traded for as prospects. And I think we have to remember as well, I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr. was on the White Sox, yeah. and he was dealt in, J- in the James Shields deal, so that kind of works in the opposite direction. Yeah. But the core of this team, this White Sox team right now, they got because they uh, made some deals uh, in some big uh, trades that, yeah. that worked out. And they're kind of the exception because more often than not, you know, maybe you get one or two guys. Well, they got like six guys that they traded yeah, for. Not, well, you can retool quicker in the AL Central than you can the AL East. That, yeah. That's a big deal, too. And their manager, Tony LaRussa, older guy. They're windows now. Like, you you know, you bring in the Dallas Keuchels. You you re-sign the Lance Lins, because, And you bring in the, the two guys at the back end of the bullpen because your your manager, you know, he's getting up there in age. Their, their window is now to win and you you got a little time to to retool mm-hmm. and then when you got your core now you go out sort of like the blue chase are trying to do you got a couple guys that you can you can kick stand on and and that's your core that'll be here for the next four or five years and you and you build around those kind of guys but again it's i don't want to say that i that i don't believe in the white Sox. it's just the al central and mm-hmm. then you look at how they play against really good teams which is not great and then how they're going to be in the playoffs so it's for me, it's a little that I'll believe it when I see it kind of thing. And and but they do have some great starting pitching. They got two guys at the back end of the bullpen, and you had that Kopech guy. Look, it's uh, Tony Derusa. How how can you screw that up? Yeah, like darts. Like, what, what, just yeah, throwing exactly. darts. I got three eyes. guys, and yeah, it's and then they got a couple of lefties that he can match up with that that throw just weird arm angles and a weird leg kick and just throw a bazillion miles an hour. It's Look, look, they're they're built for it now. It's up for them to just go out there and get it done, and it, it'll be interesting to see how they do against really good teams in the playoffs. Yeah, and the Blue Jays are going to be seeing them coming up uh, shortly here over the next uh, couple of weeks, so that will be a fun series. I quickly just wanted to get back to you know Jesse's piece about how to get you know all these teams around Major League Baseball to try to win, and, and it's interesting because you brought up the draft, and he kind of uh, you know said that that's sort of secondary in yeah. his mind. And this is a radical idea. I'm not the first person to come up with this. I know people have brought it up for other sports. But what do you think about the idea of just abolishing the draft and Mm. guys just get to pick where they want to go? Because 
you know, immediately I think the first thought is people are like, oh, everybody wants to go to the Yankees or the Dodgers or all these big, Maybe. big, big, uh, you know, big teams. But, you know, for instance, let's just use the Orioles. You know, they've got Adley Rutschman, who's going to be coming up within the next year or so. Mm-hmm. If you're a big time catching prospect, yeah. that's not where you want to go. Yeah. So the idea that, you know, teams will want to go to, you know, the the big the, the, the big cities and all this, and I know the Orioles are mm. not a big city, but the idea is just that yeah. you get to see where your best chance to get to the maybe. majors is. So maybe it is the Milwaukee Brewers, or maybe it is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Your first inclination isn't always going to be the Yankees or the Red Sox, right? Like, how, how would you, de- how would you determine how you pay them? You know, you, you pay them well, by the thing. round. Right. So that's how much you're going to pay them right out the gate. And if you got everybody picking on where they want to go, yeah, who would pick to go to the to the Diamondbacks? You know, they're they're how how soon are they going to be good? Like it's a it's a privilege to play in the big leagues. And if you you know, I'm sure when when Jesse was going through that, he got a different answer from a young guy or an old guy at the end than an established guy who makes tons of money who's in the in the peak of his career. Like yeah. you're getting all different kinds of answers to the questions that he's asking. So I don't think there's just the right answer. No. I, I just don't. It, there's not enough money to compete every single year with the Yankees, the Dodgers, these top-end teams, right? It's Not every team can be the race. You know, the race stunk for a long time, and they figured out a process that worked for them. They got a an organization-wide to buy into even the fact of, you know, you're not a starter, you're not a bullpen arm, you're a pitcher, and I'm going to use you accordingly. It's... Not everybody, not every team can sell that. Even the Blue Jays couldn't sell that. You can sell that to Ryu. Mm. You can sell that to Robbie Ray. No, you, you you know you have an established role. So it's fun to talk about. It's a it's a you know it's a it's a dream that you think everybody can compete all year. It's just not feasible for me. It's, it's never going to come true. I don't think. Yeah, and I think at least with expanded playoffs, you'll add a few more teams sure. into the mix. That that will definitely help. We saw it last year. It helped a lot of teams. It did. Uh, the Blue Jays. To, you know, try to make a push towards the playoffs, and and you know the Blue Jays. Maybe they don't make the Robbie Ray and Taiwan Walker deals, and Jonathan VRs if they don't feel like they can you know get into the postseason. Yeah. So maybe that uh, it's just the quick fix here over the next little bit with expanded playoffs. But uh, once again, we want to thank Jesse Rogers for joining us. Coming up. Final segment of the program. We'll get you set for the game tonight. Blue Jays, Mariners, 10 o'clock Eastern here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. It's Baseball Central. Rob Wong, Kevin Barker on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Now, back to more Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Baseball Central here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Rob Wong in for Jeff Blair with Kevin Barker. Just a few minutes left here in the show. Still waiting for a Blue Jays lineup, but we uh, have a Mariners lineup already as Chris Flexen gets the start tonight for the 61 and 55 Seattle team. J.P. Crawford, Mitch Hanniger, Ty France, Kyle Seeger, Abraham Toro, the uh, young Canadian Kevin who's been hitting yeah. like Barry Bonds mm. since uh, going to Seattle. Uh, everybody kind of poo-pooed the trade and was kind of scratching their head when they first That's made me. it. Uh, you you liked it or you were on I, the opposite? End? Well, it's that clubhouse thing. How yeah. much does it matter? Well, this will tell you it doesn't really. Like yeah. you, you got you got the future closer, and you got a switch hitting guy that can play wherever you want him to play. That's not bad. Yeah, it's worked out pretty well, and you yeah. got him for five years. There you go, uh, under control for a while. Luis Torrens, Jared Kalenic, Tom Murphy, and Dylan Moore. That is the Seattle Mariners lineup that will be facing Robbie Ray this evening. And uh, you pointed out the numbers: the uh, ERA below two yeah. since July. He uh, has obviously faced this Mariners team already earlier this season. Gave up three earned runs over six innings. Did strike out ten. 
you know, I always wonder what what is that like for you know from a hitter's perspective, mm-hmm. uh, your perspective when you face a guy for the second or third time in the same season. Well, what is sort of your game plan when you get to face him well, more than once? I, I always ask the same question every time I didn't know somebody. How hard's he throw? What's he throw? Two strikes. It's no different with Robbie Ray. Now they know. Mm-hmm. They know he's a two pitch guy. Now he's trying. He's trying to sprinkle in the changeup to give a right-handed hitter a different look, a different mile per hour to maybe steal an easy out, you know, weak contact, take the thing out of a barrel. But he's mainly you – know, the one thing with Robbie Ray is it, you can know it's coming, but if he doesn't throw it down the middle, that's all he has to do right now is the, the life on the heater and the late tunneling break on the slider and the two different ones that he can throw, if he doesn't throw them down the middle – He's got a pretty good chance, not probably not of dominating you all the time because this is pretty good hitters. You just r- rhymed off all the names, it, the, the Toros, the Seegers, the Crawfords, Hanniger, mm-hmm. Brants. They're going to give some battles. There, there's some quality hitters in there that are going to make him throw some strikes on the plate. So consistently, he doesn't throw it down the middle. He'll have a decent day, and it's for me it turns around. It's full circle back to the lineup. The lineup's going to score some runs, take a little pressure off of Robbie. Yeah, and this is going to be an interesting matchup. We uh, touched a little bit on Chris Flexen earlier, but when you look at the numbers, he's uh, more of a reverse splits guy, that he fares better against lefty hitters, at least so far this season, than he gets, does against uh, right-handed hitters. Right-handed hitters hitting uh, 308 off of him. They've got a slugging percentage of 474. It doesn't strike out very uh, many hitters either, so he's going to be pitching to contact a lot here, and you would think for a team with... A lot of right-handed hitters, a lot of bop. I yeah. mean, this is kind of a, a dream matchup for them, potentially. Well, I'm not sure of that. You know, no. it's well, it looks, it just screams to me like if you watch the Blue Jays, you think about who's in the lineup, you think young guys who don't want to really think their way through it at bat, like Vladdy right now, struggling. He don't want to do a lot of thinking. Right? This guy's got a cutter, a changeup, a four-seamer, a slow curveball. That can throw them all, right? He's You're going to have to eliminate part of the plate. You're going to have to eliminate a couple of those pitches. That just screams to me like, you know, the, the bigger guys, like the Springers, like the Marcus Simeon, you could throw Teoscar in there because of the RBIs and the approach that he's having to right center. You know, the, those are the three guys for me that are going to have to take a little pressure, start, you know, squishing the bug and, and back leg city and a guy to take a little pressure off a couple of guys in the order who probably can't have the thinking at bat right now. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing. Yeah, um, you would think for for some of the guys that are scuffling at this point. Like I mentioned earlier, still waiting to see if Corey Dickerson is going to be uh, in the lineup tonight. We could see the return of Bo Bichette uh, as well, which mm-hmm. uh, would be big as he's yeah. dealing with that um, shin injury. But you know, you mentioned it before with the Angels, disappointing to get a split. Mm-hmm. You would love to get two or three in this series. You would obviously be overjoyed with uh, three for three, um, getting the sweep here. But you know, at this point of the season, uh, you know, the Blue Jays heading out west and. It's such a grind, right? We, we talked about the mental toll that maybe, uh, you know, taking over Vlad at this point. It's been a long season. He's done a lot of good, and right now he's scuffling. Yeah. But, you know, for people that haven't done it, I mean, what is it like just going through a long season? You were in the dog days of summer. Mm-hmm. They're obviously hyped because they're trying to make the playoffs. They're making a push here. Expectation. That's but it. just the, the mental toll of just like a long, long season. What, what, is, that, what is that grind yeah, actually for, like? For, for me, it was more of when I was doing something in the batting cage that worked so well late in seasons, and it wasn't translating between the lines mm. that that for me is the one thing that was very frustrating it was working in the beginning of the season uh when now because i may have changed something i was tweaking something i was doing a little different something with my lower half that would make my upper half do something because it's trying to follow my lower half kind of thing and that's not translating between the lines and that's where the mental 
part of it. We saw Vladdy yesterday. He deliberately was getting it started sooner. You know, he's more of a time it up. The the pitcher's foot hits the ground, and then he's doing his little fruition. He was doing it early. Pitcher's starting, he's starting kind of thing to just try and simplify it as much as possible. But, again, these are really good hitters. They should be able to shorten slumps. Name a guy one through five, even, you know, one through six when you got some, uh, you know, a a Corey Dickerson in there who can do the things sometimes that Corey Dickerson can do. They should have better quality at best. You shouldn't be able to get them out the same way every single time. Like right now, Vladdy, it is moving in off the plate, moving away off the plate. You shouldn't be able to do that every single time. One time, okay, you got me. The next time, you're not going to get me again. That's the adjustment now we need to see. You're a playoff team. This is what playoff lineups do. They make adjustments quicker than everybody else, and that's what I expect to see is them do that here tonight. And yeah, now you got me thinking. You know, on the one glance, I go, Chris Flexen <laughs> looks like good hit, and then I think, ah, oh, man, these junk baller guys <laughs> yeah. tend to get the Blue Jays and subtract. from time to time. So uh, we'll see. Who wins out tonight? Will it be Chris Flexen or will it be the Toronto Blue Jays? First pitch coming up in just over three hours' time, 10 o'clock Eastern right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Ben Wagner, has the call immediately after. It is Jay's Talk with Josh Goldberg and Show Ali. And, of course, you can watch the game on Sportsnet. Thanks for all the texts today. Thanks to Jesse Rogers of ESPN. And thanks to Ben Wagner for joining us as well. For Kevin Barker, I'm Rob Wong. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the game tonight, everybody. We'll talk to you later.